Hello, and before we start the show, we have some really big news to share with all of you. And so I'm going to kick it over to Bonnie so she can be the one to announce this great, exciting news. Thank you, Casey. Um, Yeah, I I co-edited along with uh, Franz Dedman, Thomas J. Ord, and Tim Reddish a book. And it's now available on Amazon and other places where you might buy books online. It's called Partnering with God. And it's a collection of 77 essays from an open and relational perspective, theological perspective. So those of you who've heard me talk about process theology on a Renacast, this book is all about process theology and how we humans partner with God. Yeah, check it out. And maybe we'll talk about it more at some other point on, on a Renacast. So go get your copy now. Support Bonnie and the great work that she does. And now... Let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenicast, a group of folks leaning into our progressive Christian imaginations. This is Rajiv. I'm Jeff. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Casey. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we provoke conversation for shifting perspectives on theology and culture. Thank you for joining us this week. We continue the messy series of Beyond the Binary of Deconstruction and Reconstruction. And we recognize the language on this is a little limiting because there are moments where we come across something in written form or we hear it said and we're like, aha, that's what I've been thinking and feeling. And now I've heard it said it makes giving it language is is like water to the thirsty. And then there's other times where language feels really restricting. People will try to describe something or you try to describe it. And you're like, no, 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 that's not it. So this conversation is both of those things and so many more things. Like there's moments where it's like, yeah, 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 that's it. And there's other times, maybe lots of other times like, oh, no, that's not quite it. So it's messy. And we're going in this sequence we started talking with deconstruct about deconstruction, and now we're sort of moving into what is commonly called reconstruction. We know this isn't a linear process. It's all happening all at once. It's messy. It's a little scary. And it's also beautiful and wonderful. It's a little like Yellowstone National Park. Everything all at once with the risk of the super volcano going off at any minute. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yay Just, super volcanoes yeah. no worries spiritual super volcanoes <laughs> and for our segment today we're revamping what used to be called jesus and jay-z and we're calling it friday night or sunday morning so stay tuned for those shenanigans I feel like we've had a series of very incomplete metaphors as we've been going through the series <laughs> I like it. It's good stuff. Yeah. Incomplete metaphors are the only kind of metaphors to have. Just like each of us is an incomplete process. And, you know, we're in this the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction and beyond the binary of that. And I hope we can find some new words. I know there are some other words out there to help us have language for the journey, journey language. So we don't get this idea that 
you know, we sort of check things off as we go and we leave certain things behind and we have certain things ahead of us. It doesn't quite work like that, at least not in my experience. I know. I mean, there there are people out there who are offering like a checklist. They're saying step one, step two, step three. And that's we talked about if that's even possible for us. And we were like, no, <laughs> it's like. It, it, we in conversation with others, you find there's commonalities of experience and and maybe even some shared descriptors of what happened before and and where we're heading. but there's no there's really no roadmap for this that we can offer each other as a tangible way of moving forward. You know, I've heard people say things like, "Oh, I've been there or oh that that's where I once was. And I feel like, well, it doesn't speak to my experience, right? I feel like we're always arriving. We're always arriving into new moments that might bring out a need for more deconstruction or awareness of how you have evolved. And so in your arriving, things are always changing. In having these conversations, I'm very hesitant. Uh, I think we all are everyone around the table. We are hesitant to give you sort of like a, and this is what you should do. And this is what you should. I think we're sort of coming from it from a place of saying, this has been our experience. This is how we have arrived or how we are continuing to show up and know that this, these are the multiple, multiple possibilities that could happen in your arriving. And so to, to make um, any sort of suggestion that you might ever uh, have a final arriving would be deceiving. The truth would not be in us. And so I think for me, it's just important as we talk about these things to understand that we are all of these things. Uh, We are deconstructing. We are reconstructing. And there's beauty in that. And it is hard. And it's like a catastrophic volcano, right? So, Right. And I mean, between the four of us, for as varied experiences that the four of us have had, we can't imagine those of you that are listening, you know, the hundreds, thousands of people listening, like, wow, like there's going to be varied experiences there as well. So we figure sharing our experiences and and finding commonalities and listening to things that wasn't our experience and just appreciating that for, for what they are is an important step. Absolutely. And I think too, as part of this conversation, like acknowledging that we have been wired for the checklists and wired that there's a destination in mind. That's right. And that there's certain things that you do to get there. And then you are supposed to be able to rest in the assurance that you've made it. Right. And which may be part of the reason why this feels difficult to talk about is because, in a way, it's unwiring. It's sort of like you were mentioning deprogramming. So at the same time as you're journeying, you're also unjourneying. <laughs> You know, right? And that that is a, a whole it's a complicated mess. It really is. And it's also it really is the path to freedom. So it's it's worth it. It's so worth it, but it's not an easy linear path with guidebooks and handbooks and um, whatever and the conferences that like will have simple answers that that get you to where it is you you supposedly want to go right remember those connected dot sheets when we were kids in school you connect you draw lines connecting them in numerical or alphanumeric order and then it would create what is something recognizable like a cat or a whale 
then you'd color it in and you'd be all happy. That was like my best artwork, by the way, because I, <laughs> you know, I can barely draw stick people. But yeah, there's there's no sheet like that. Right. There's 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 just no sheet like that. It, it is it is messy. And I think Jesus knew that. That's why everything is a metaphor and parable, right? And as we speak to these sorts of things, that's why we do not have solid enough language or a numerical step-by-step of how to walk this journey, because it wasn't intended for us to. Uh, We need the metaphor. We need sort of the mystery, because that's what this is made of, I think. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which kind of brings us to the crux of this particular mode or step in or movement in the process. It's like, how do we shift our wisdom, rebuild our resources? What voices do we listen to? And and how kind of that functioned for all of us? Because I know everyone has a different author, a different voice, different speaker that was super influential for them as they kind of walked through this next spot. Mm-hmm. So then <laughs> what were what were some of your all's like significant shifts in I don't know who you rely on authority like I th- like all these different words I'm thinking of in terms of like what what this is Yeah because you know not only are we wired right with the checklists and the destination point but also we're not always given great tools to know who to listen to like what what's the criteria that one would use to say this is wise counsel and this is not wise counsel especially in this rebuilding process it can feel disorienting to not know where to turn for this wisdom that you know you're going to need when all the wisdom that you've supposedly carried you're in the process of rejecting yeah i think each of us probably has a different way of approaching it i know for me I was and still am sort of open to all. And that that has its drawbacks, too, because not everything out there is great. But I do know that when I was initially sort of watching my old ways of thinking and my old worldview and religious posture in the world burn in my rearview mirror, I was just like, okay, whatever there is, just give it to me. I'm ready for it. And I just went on this huge quest. You know, I went into the, well, back then we had bookstores and I would go to the, the like occult section of the bookstore or the esoteric section of the bookstore and just sit there and look through all the books, whatever there was. And most of it was blew my mind because it was things I'd never been exposed to before. So I just, I was on this quest for coming out of this really small insular world where I felt like I knew nothing about the world to give me all there is to know and trying really hard to just take it all in and and just sort of, I don't know, accept it all at at face value, which also had its its problems. But the movement was a was for me anyways, a healthy and good movement from small to much larger. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was less drastic. It was like not rejecting everything all at once, but it was a, it was, it was going to college, you know, it was going to get my theology degree and that first semester taking certain classes and being like, oh, I wasn't taught any of this, you know? So I think I followed the, the stereotypical Theobrogen path 
right? So my gateway drug was Rob Bell and N.T. Wright. <laughs> and then, you know, a little bit of Brugamon and just kind of those, that particular mode. But it helped kind of jar something loose for me that would eventually, you know, lead down other paths of, of knowledge and, and information. And uh, it was, you know, it's, it's, it, but it was, it was slow and it was, there was still room to still be in the fold with those voices up to a certain point, because, you know, if you followed those voices through, you'd move past them. And I think that's part of that journey too, right? Is like acknowledging like, this was really helpful for me then. And I can acknowledge that, but right now that's not my mode. That's not something I can, I can get into. I think when we find ourselves at these, I don't know, forks in the road or at a Canyon or just, you know, curled up on the floor or whatever your situation might be. There's, there's all kinds of different responses. Some run to the bookstore looking for more information. Other people run to some destructive behaviors because they're just wanting to cut it off, move away. Some people just retreat into modes of isolation as much as they can because they just they they've had enough at the moment and and others just lash out and and some do a combination of all of it there's no predictable or right or correct response when the things come crashing down for me what what ended up happening was there was a lot of silence for me i just i kind of went silent for a time because i i had no idea what to say anymore and I wasn't sure who I should or could talk to and just really retreated for a time and then slowly started to encounter things, partly just by trying to stay in relationship with people and community, learning bits and pieces of information, sharing ideas, hearing other people's ideas and processes and, and so on. And it's interesting because my, my journey out of fundamentalist Christianity was at the hands of Christians. <laughs> you know, like the strangest thing for me, leaving Seventh-day Adventism or really questioning it for the first time was because we started to watch on Sunday morning, started to watch Harold Camping. I was so, I remember you, I was going to ask you about this. I remember yeah. in a previous episode, you talking about this. Yeah. And so we'll talk about a bizarre thing because he basically, you know, the seventh Adventist claim, we stand on the Bible and the Bible alone. So it's like, you know, here's this guy talking about the Bible and the Bible alone. I'm like, oh, shit. he's actually making more sense on that Bible and Bible alone argument. His stuff is holding up where the seventh Adventist churches starts to fall apart. So that was my first big question mark to the Adventists. So, I mean, talk about a strange set of circumstances. And then from there, it kind of kept going. And then eventually, some years later, encountered you know Bart Ehrman, John Dominic Crossan, this Frontline series, From Jesus to Christ, which had a, featured a whole bunch of scholars. And was like, oh, wow, this is really great. How has this not been part of my formation? You know, this is really valuable information. And then because, you know, that information about Christianity and Jesus in particular was so damaging to what I grew up with, it just all fell apart. 
And then figuring out what to do next was, again, actually returning to some of those same sources, not Harold Camping so much. Although, you know, I've, I've never felt ill towards him because I always felt like he was actually legit and sincere in his thing. But maybe if I grew up in his world, I'd feel more resentment towards him. But these other scholars, I returned to them to figure out how to piece things together and create some sort of a new dynamic. So for me, when I started college and was starting that process of coming out, I ran into Rob Bell and Donald Miller, um, who would have who would have ever thought, by the way, that Donald Miller, I mean, all these emergent church uh, bros, um, were really the first place that I started to wonder about what faith had to look like. Sometimes it takes Christians, like you were saying, Rajiv, to sort of show you the way. Philip Yancey, who tends to be a little more conservative, right? But his book, um, What's So Amazing About Grace, was so transformative for me. I mean, I grew up Lutheran and evangelical, and it took Philip Yancey writing this book about grace for me to truly understand what Lutherans believed about it. And this idea of sort of the widening of God's love, the, that grace is unconditional, um, was really profound for me. And then I found Anne Lamott, who sort of started to lead me towards this idea of a more progressive Christian viewpoint. And then my senior year, I had a bunch of friends. We had a new academic dean who started doing like theology, a class on, on theology, philosophical theology on Sundays. And we would actually meet at a pub and that's where I learned Paul Ricoeur, uh, you know, the philosopher, talking about interpretation and the radical orthodoxy, uh, John Milbank. And that started to form in me. And then my advisor said, why are you reading all these old white guys? And that's when she handed me Renita Weems, uh, just a sister away. And that transformed my faith completely. That was like the opening, the bursting open, that um, the expansion of what faith could look like and interpretation, because that's what I struggled with. You know, growing up in a more conservative Lutheran branch and evangelical, something about this Bible having to mean something was so important, that interpretation was so important to me. And to be able to to use Paul Ricoeur and then to find Renita Weems just felt like it was everything I needed for a new way of being in the world. That reminds me kind of of something similar along the lines is sometimes in that process, there's something that's there that we reject initially that kind of comes back around. Because I was thinking the same thing when I was in college. I was given um, a book by Gutierrez on liberation theology. And at the time, I was like, whatever. But later, when I hit that point of realizing, wow, this is a lot of white guys on my bookshelf and trying to like look for what was there, that book was still there. And I was like, oh. I do <laughs> I do have a non-white person on my bookshelf and then picking that up and being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I missed that at the time. But then I thought about it. I might have just rejected it. I might have been so upset by it at that time that I might never have picked it up again and it would have formed my thoughts later on what that was and maybe stunted. So I, I mean, it's this weird, like you can't really plan it, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You could just be thankful for what does happen and kind of hope that you're moving in the right direction. Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, in that process, somebody at our intersections cohort last night introduced themselves as ex-evangelical and ex-atheist. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, that I can relate to that because these things that I was talking about, they led me essentially to atheism. 
you know, and really encountering humanism for the first time and then sort of deciding you can be secular because the God I grew up with was gone and, and just a strange thing and really finding a lot of sustenance from these Christian writers in my secularness and going to seminary, starting seminary as a non-theist was really interesting and amazing because Bonnie was already in seminary. And as a spouse, I got to audit classes for free with her per semester. And so encountering people that were open-minded, uh, that, that was really the, the change into what was to come next was like, there's actually people who are religious people who aren't closed minded or scripted or dogmatic. Yeah. It's really interesting listening to all of you because my path was so different. I didn't want to hear anything. Any of those people had to say at all. I was like, I don't care about crossing. I don't care about, I mean, even though they could have been probably helpful and I certainly picked them up at some point in the journey, but in kind of the midpoint where I recognized I was out and I needed to build something that I could stand on because, you, you, you know, the shaking ground is, it's fun for a while, but <laughs> at some point there's a sense that, okay, if that's no longer holding for me, then what do I hold on to? Where, what do I reach for? Or what do I allow to filter into my way of being that will um, support me in my daily life? What I found was that I, I deeply sought just spirituality. I felt like in all of my Christianity up to that point, it was severely lacking. It felt like pretend spirituality to me. And maybe it's because I had kind of really deep early childhood experiences of spirituality that I just, you know, was really thirsty in a way for a return to that, which always felt like it was outside of my faith, the Seventh-day Adventist community that I grew up in. So I was looking for like astrology and poetry. Like I read Louise Hayes' works on the body and the connection between spiritual spirituality and the body. And it was important for me to go through that channel, that avenue before I could then say, oh, there's a lot of this in Christianity. And so therefore, Christianity might hold some meaning for me. I guess maybe I can like think in terms of Christianity again, because obviously it's the myth I know it's the it's the people that it's the inheritance that I have in terms of a religious and faith tradition. As long as you can be an astrologist and a Christian, okay, then it will work. But yeah, it's just really interesting. I just remember like, no offense to Rob Bell or any of those people, but I was just like, no, like you're full of it. And I'm sorry <laughs> that, you know, I I and I I know there's people who dearly hold on to what he's offering and has to offer. And I respect that because I don't, the good news is none of us have to do this in the same way. In fact, our conversations with one another on how we do it just helps us to enlarge us. But but it just it just all felt so un, like fake to me. 
I think it's also beyond reading, right? I mean, that's another thing that theobrogens want to do, right? Masturbate at their book collection. It's a good point, Bonnie, around like this idea of like um, the body experiencing. I didn't need to know what holiness was in the context of church anymore because I could find it in nightclubs, in gay bars, in alleyways. The sacred did not show up for me in places where they were, you know, speaking in tongues and rolling on the floor anymore. It was, it, there was no power there. And so I think that's a really important point that where is it that we encounter the divine? What our bodies will tell us to trust where the spirit is prompting us. I mean, that's big language for this podcast, but uh, to trust that whatever, whatever is speaking to you um, in that moment that calls you to something more transformative, higher, whatever language you want to use, to trust that. And this is sort of a side note that I just want to speak to as I was listening to all of you talk that when we're talking about the secular, that's what you're talking about, Bonnie. I I was thinking about to be evangelical actually was to be secular in some ways because they what they were teaching us to do is to model the world. Look, we're going to have all the same music that the world has. The world. You know what I mean. The, <laughs> the world. Um, yeah. We're going to have all the same music. We're going to offer you great coffee. We're going to dress like the world. There is there is nothing that is actually, we are going to con- commodify people and consume product and take your money just like the world. We are the world. We are the world. <laughs> yeah. And, and so... I think that that is that just in this moment is a revelation for me around you say you're set apart, but really what is it that sets you apart? Nothing. There is nothing except you're an asshole to everybody, mostly. Just something uh, resonating in me in this moment. Kind of reflecting on all that, I wonder if, you know, know, I wonder if the, like the, the spectrum of Rob Bell help me, Rob Bell's full of shit <laughs> is is directly related to, you know, how quickly of an exit it was from evangelicalism. Right? Like if you Maybe. totally reject it, yeah. then anything that resembles Christianity feels wrong mm-hmm. or just you don't want anything to do with it. And I know whereas I spend a lot of time still in it and trying to like I, I never got to the atheist point. You know, I never got to the point where I was like, I'm rejecting all of it. I got to the point where it was like, I can't do this version of it. And I know there's other versions of it out there, but I don't know enough about them. So there was like a a break, a sabbatical. Uh, I don't know what I would call that, that, that mode. But I think that that's interesting because it really, it should give us all space to honor someone else's journey, right? Like, Seven years ago, if someone would have said Rob Bell's full ship shit, I would have been like, oh, no, how could you say that? Like, because that was my experience. And I don't think I got into that place where I was able to recognize my experience is my experience. And I don't need to find common points to appreciate someone else's experience. Right. I can just accept it. We try so hard to relate. And I think that makes us feel uncomfortable. And it's a little selfish because we're like, well, if I can't relate, then it's not valid. And I think we use that either explicitly or just subconsciously. And uh, that's why I love hearing these stories and, and exposing myself to other experiences because then I realize, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I don't need to hold on to these things so tightly. 
Yeah. Then thanks for saying that, Jeff. I also think that maybe it has to do with the time in one's life. If I had actually paid attention to those questions when I was in college, rather than work so hard at holding those questions at bay for the next three decades, two decades while I was um, raising kids and whatever, um, it might not have all had to burn behind me. Like if I had a podcast like this to listen to, if I had um, if I ha- if I knew there was a community of people that were making also moving in these directions along with me, it might have been very different for me. It was the early 2000s when I was going through this. I was in my mid 30s and I, I, I had spent so much energy resisting this transition in my life like the voices in my head were screaming so loudly everybody's full of it that um i had i didn't have much choice it felt like but to say you're right <laughs> and now i need to find my own voice and figure out where to go from here and it's not just an american christian experience like this is this experience of spiritual journeyers since for all time you know, and and to to come to a realization that not only are you not alone, like in this moment, that there's going to be names that we all recognize that we can share and talk about. You're not alone, like in all time since the beginning of humanity, because this is the quest and the the horrific tragedy of the American Christian Church right now is to do their best to prevent people from being on the journey. That's right. That's right. It's it's a stunted, it's like, we'll let you get to this point. And then, we, you know, here's the, here's the point, here's the checkpoint that we let you get to, and then we will prevent you at all costs from ever taking a step beyond that. Because if we do, then you're going to see through us, and we can't have that. So and that yeah. goes for all forms of Christianity, by the way. Oh, yeah. Say more about that seriously, because I, mean, I, I think that's true. I mean, I, for me, the thing is the reality that I'm having is that um, if we are doing our jobs as religious people, and especially religious teachers, what we should be doing is emptying our churches in a lot of ways. That you come here maybe for gathering, but we, but you shouldn't spend a lot of time here because the quest is out there. The quest is in your living, in your experiencing of another. And and my struggle in all in all systems is that they are systems. They were meant to preserve themselves, to keep themselves. I don't know any religious teaching that says that the system is meant to preserve itself and keep itself safe. The journey has always been about release, about trust, about letting go, about searching. And so I think that that's sort of where where I am. How do we get to a place of saying um, everything that you're looking for, you will not find in a building. It will it will be found in your arriving in relationship with another. It will be found in your connection to the poor, to nature. I mean, all of the things that you're longing for don't always happen in the building. But that's hard. I mean, that's that's a threat. Yeah, yeah. If Christianity, which is maybe, I mean, Christianity, as soon as you come up with that term, you're already talking about a system, but the Jesus way, and this is why I still 
consider myself a, a teacher and a practitioner of the Jesus way as much as I possibly can in my imperfect ways. But if, if You're it's- You're more perfect than most. <laughs> please. <laughs> That's probably the least true thing you've ever said, Casey. But um, if if we can like travel together in networks of relationships, because it is relationships, right? And these transgressive relationships across these boundaries that all the rest of the social structures in the world are trying to keep enforced because there's the people on top that need it to be enforced. If we can do that, which I believe Jesus was trying to help us with, then the world is a very different place than it is right now. Yeah. But that that is not a building-associated experience. Yeah, and so much of this is contextual and comes down to timing because, like, hearing Jeff talk about Rob Bell, like, I encountered Rob Bell in, in the early stages of my not—actually, anti-theistic life. I hadn't quite— transitioned into being non-theistic where I was like, that's fine. That's just me. You do you. I'll do me. It was in my anti you like, you're a fuck if you believe in God, blah, blah, blah. And then Rob Bell comes on the scene. So my friends who are still believers are like, have you seen Rob Bell? He doesn't think Gandhi's going to hell. He thinks you can paint Elvis in whatever medium you want. I'm like, what? Like, that is so irrelevant. You know, and, and it was timing. If I had encountered Rob Bell, Five, six, seven years before Rob Bell came on the scene, I would have been eating him up. I mean, I would have been using Rob Bell to try to transform the church from within, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. But it was for me, it was a timing thing. So, you know, I don't have any particular feelings one way or another about Rob Bell other than it's like, oh, another guy from Central Casting, <laughs> you know, the charismatic white guy who's the poster child for the movement. But I don't know him. He might be a great person. And if you ever hear this, Rob Bell, and you want to come on the show, we'd love to have you. <laughs> to debunk this. And again, I'm I'm talking about sort of Rob Bell, the public persona, sure, not right. Rob Bell, the human being, the individual. Um, and then Casey, what you talked about with spaces, same kind of thing, timing-wise. And now I'm like, you know, I think, I think spaces can be set aside for sacred purposes. And it's not just religious buildings. Like the coffee house is a sacred space in lots of ways. I mean, you think about the people you will meet at a coffee house and the conversations you have, the pub for, you know, for I'm grateful that I don't have a problem with alcohol. I, I have problems with desserts, but not alcohol. So like, you know, when I when I'm going to meet a friend at a pub, I know it's going to be it's time set aside to reconnect. We're not going to be in a rush to go to the next thing. So I think spaces are important, but like you said, if, you know, the pub ceases to be a place that facilitates conversation and meetings and human connection and tries to become empire, there's a problem there. And the same thing with, with spiritual houses. That's right. I mean, and I think that introducing the word into the conversation empire is so important, right? I mean, my whole thesis uh, for my master's program was on bathhouses as uh, the kingdom of God, you know, gay bars as the kingdom of God. These are non-empire spaces um, where, in fact, power is flipped on its head oftentimes. And that's what I think we need to continue to be reminded of is where are the places that promote empire? Like, and what are, and what is our relationship to those spaces? 
And if we are nav- if we are in them, how are we navigating them? And what are we seeking to do in them? That is an essential question. I mean, and it's a part of our conversation about deconstruction and reconstruction. What is your relationship to empire? What is your relationship to power? What in you has n- desired to hold on to that? And does that have anything to do with your reason not to deconstruct? What are you willing to lose for the journey? What are you willing to let go of? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up, Casey, because I don't think we have talked about that enough here. And it's the hardest thing to talk about. The journey towards, you know, and I, I use freedom in a very spiritual sense, but I think that the spirit, spiritual and physical material freedom are, are connected. And, you know, we, we say in justice circles that no one is free until all are free. And we mean that. When we say that, we mean that in a very, like, literal physical sense. But also the spirituality of what that means is an important part of the whole conversation because they, they go together. But it will cost you everything. And that's where courage, you know, it takes fierce courage to step we've talked about into the abyss or into the dark night of the soul or into whatever um, language one might use for that moment where you realize, I don't know where I go from here. There's no path. There's I can only see one step, my one next step. That's it. And it may cost me my life as I know it right now. And I'm going to take the step anyway. That's a super bold move, and yet this beyond the binary of deconstruction and reconstruction, that is something that sort of holds, I think, and transcends all the journeys, is the willingness to sort of is to put one's life on in, in risk mode for the journey itself. And that's really well said, Bonnie, and I think a, a truly spiritual community sticks with one another through those times of transition. And, and I, I now believe those places can exist and do exist. They're few and far between, but, but they are around. This is probably for our next conversation on community, but Rajiv, the way you say that makes me think, is it really that a true spiritual community needs to stick with or a trail, true spiritual community needs to allow people to move in and out. Both and. Yeah. 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 Narrow is the road to life and those that find it are few. Such wise words. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, as you were talking, Bonnie, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Narrow is the road to life and those that find it are few. And how different is that sentence now than it used to be? That's right. That's right. Right. And when we go through that road, like what, I mean, from our experiences, what, not advice or check marks, but just like what things did we find helped us discern which path to take and, you know, which road sign to listen to. And I think that yourself, that's the road sign. The biggest truth is in yourself. I mean, you hear that in Bonnie, like, uh, I mean, trusting that what you know is true. I was talking to a friend recently who was saying for so long, I didn't have a self. That when I left evangelicalism, what I had to begin to do is just trust my decision making. And sometimes I miss the mark. But then I had no one to blame but myself. 
It was no longer the devil who attempted me. It was no longer God's will. It was I made a decision, and now I have to live with that decision. And more often than not, the decisions I made were the right ones. So sure, there are going to be influencers, whether they be through book or social media or podcasts or religious leaders, but the the place that you should start is in yourself. Because only you know what the Spirit is prompting you to, or the universe is calling you to, whatever you want to say, honey. It's there. I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm watching you squirm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little triggered. <laughs> Not with what you just said, Casey, but just the, the road is narrow thing. And I don't, I don't, I can't articulate why that's bugging me right now, but it kind of is. So it just lets me know I have some work to do in that area. Well, I'm, I'm just more at the, the listen to yourself. And just because I'm in this mode where it's like, there's so many people in our world today that are so confident that they're following common sense, right? I know in my heart, I know in my body that this is a hoax. I don't need to wear my mask and all that kind of stuff. And I just, and I know part of it is stemming from me and myself have a contentious relationship, you know, and moving through all that. But it's just, I think that that is a good place to start. Cause I do think that we all had those moments where we're like, what I'm feeling is going against this community that I'm a part of. And we make those decisions on, well, at least I did on a fairly regular basis of, what do I give up? What do I push down in order to belong? So I mean, self is a really, maybe that needs to be an extra part that we added because yeah. I think that it's, it's so nuanced that I think you're right. We do need to listen to ourselves because I know moments, but then there are also moments where I'm recognizing and I'm just thinking of rhetoric of people saying, I know in my heart that, <laughs> you know, right. if I inject myself with a horse tranquilizer, yeah. I'll be fine. You know, I just, <laughs> I, yeah, I, that's why I think like that the, the discerning process of resources and who to listen to and all that kind of stuff is that there has to be something outside of ourselves that's a a guide, a fence. Mm. I don't know. I don't know of a proper metaphor. Well, I mean, this is like I mean, context and timing, right? You know, with this this thing about self, because that's a really good point, Jeff. And our next episode is about the self. Um, not to cut off the conversation because it is rich. It feels like we're just getting heated up. Um, but we'll we'll come back to that. So as for this episode, please let us know what you think. To add your voice to this particular conversation, comment on the show notes at arenacast.com slash 186. In the show notes, you'll find relevant links and a complete list of all the ways to add your voice to this conversation. And if you haven't already, join our email list. Don't just think about it or consider it. Just go on the website and join it. It's not going to hurt you. It's free. And you'll get all the updates on what's coming up. Also, information about upcoming intersections, which will be taking place on Thursdays from February 3rd through March 10th, 7 p.m. Pacific time. And you can f find that link to subscribe in the show notes at arenacast.com slash 186. Now, on the other side of the music, we're going to do Friday night or Sunday morning.
and we're back friday night or sunday morning it's got some history we're changing the name but not necessarily the essence jeff why don't you since you're since you're our resident historian and archivist <laughs> you want to give us the background yeah so we this is i think maybe our first or second segment in the history of the podcast because we were all coming from evangelicalism and we were alan and i were discussing that south park episode where they turn Christian music into like love songs or whatever. So we thought it'd be a fun segment to do like we'll read a set of lyrics and then each of the hosts have to guess what they think it's coming from a, a quote Christian artist or a secular artist. Now we understand as this is a, a weird binary, but I think it's reminiscent of some stupid thing in our evangelical past that we can kind of make fun of in a meta way by by doing this game. So so for those of you listening, we do understand. And originally it was called Jesus or Jay-Z. And I think we had a conversation about how that's kind of a weird name to associate a particular musical genre with secular and contrast it to Jesus. So I think we became uncomfortable, which is why we haven't done this for a long time, because we couldn't find a, a suitable new name for it. So this Friday night, Sunday morning is kind of that juxtaposition that a lot of us probably lived in in evangelicalism of like Friday night partying. That's bad. You know, go to youth group all nighter instead. And then Sunday morning is the, the godly hour. So. We're shifting the branding to Friday night or Saturday or Sunday morning, and then we'll... So how, how it works is each of us have, have a set of lyrics, and then the other hosts have to guess whether it's coming from a traditionally Christian artist, and I'm you know putting the air quotes up there, or a traditional, quote, secular artist. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Who wants to go first? I do. <laughs> All right. So here's the lyric. I believe in the faith that grows. I'm going to say secular. Secular. Whatever secular means. Yeah, I'm trying to, I want to say secular because I feel like that's probably what it is. But then there's also part of me that says, well, they said secular. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, always... you and I have that same <laughs> problem. <your> <laughs> uh -huh. So I'm going to go with Christian. <laughs> Does those? Do you know what song it's from? I we you've all heard. It this sounds song. very familiar. I can't place it though. Um, it is it is secular. It's semi charmed life. Oh yeah, yeah. Third eye blind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's the whole story about as yeah, secular as you can possibly be. That's a good song. I need something to get me through this. Isn't yeah. that the yeah? Yep. Could be a theme song. <laughs> and we do one I'd, each. Do two rounds. We take turns, or one person goes twice. Two rounds. One okay. each, yeah. All right, let's just go counterclockwise. Casey, you're next. Okay. Touch me, touch me, Lord. <laughs> With your hand of mercy, make each throbbing heartbeat feel your power. <laughs> I'm tempted to say that's from the South Park episode, but <laughs> I think that's actually a song from back in the day. Yeah, it's a gospel hymn. Yeah. Oh, you were supposed to. Mm. Uh, Christian, Christian Spoiler. all the way. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. Yeah. I mean, uh, we want some throbbing Lord, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, gospel song, Touch Me, Lord Jesus. I I remember so many scoldings during youth group in junior high when we would laugh at a particular song. Yeah. <laughs> Those touch me songs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to see the album cover for that <laughs> for that particular one. 
when I was in youth group, we'd always do when they would sing Hosanna. <laughs> Me and my friends were stupid. We'd be like, who's Anna? Who's Anna? Youth pastor would get so mad at us. Anyway. <laughs> that was so middle school. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I guess it's my turn. I don't know what the future holds. Gonna love everybody till the day I die. Sounds Christian to me. Sounds like a swerve. I think you made it vague enough. Yeah, it's probably, I think it's secular, but it's, it should be Christian. It's a good one. Secular and should be not. So Friday night, is that what we're supposed I'm to say? I'm going Sunday morning. That's good. Mm-hmm. We should use that. Yeah. So I love the blues, which is the most spiritual music of all. And this is, it's from Keb Mo, Medicine Man. That's a great song. Look it up. It's awesome. Very timely, too. It's a recent a recent one of his, so super good. So, yeah, I mean, I'd play it in church. Um, <laughs> right. Most places probably would, but. All right. Sounds good. So I am not doing well in this game. <laughs> <laughs> Are we keeping track of points? No. no. Alan, yeah, Alan's yeah. not here. <laughs> Friday night point score or Sunday morning point we, score? We're, we're a grace-based podcast. <laughs> oh, my god! Points are not necessary Everyone here. gets a participation trophy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's uh, my lyric. So everything I knew about you, everything I thought I knew, I tear it down and I would leave it all in pieces. If finally what it means is that I'm only left with you. That sounds so Christian. It does. <laughs> that sounds totally like one of Jeff's Christian uh, <laughs> hard rock bands. <laughs> I don't know. But it could be. It could be. Can you, you know, read it again? I need to hear it two times. Oh, sorry. Could be any heavy so metal. Everything I knew about you. Everything I thought I knew. I tear it down. And I would leave it all in pieces if finally what it means is that I'm left with only you. Sunday morning, final verdict. Yeah, that's like some major therapy needed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say Sunday morning, too. All right. It is. It is. Uh, in fact, the song is called Deconstruction, which is funny, by a guy named Justin McRoberts. See, this is what wow. I'm saying. Like, honestly. <laughs> Everything. Ooh. Wow. This is like like the god of evangelicals like needs a therapist, mm-hmm. and everyone who mm-hmm. sings that sort of crap, like just think of how sad that is. So harmful. I would destroy everything. I would burn down my life if we could just be co-emeshed. But know? but it's not just it's like I I will any thought that I've ever had I would right. destroy if yeah. it means that we can, I can yeah be but with you insert that same lyric myself. into the end of a rom com. True. And the rom-coms are also abusive and terrible mm-hmm. in many ways yeah. and right. have a story about love that we'd like to leave behind. Mm-hmm. Come on, Bonnie. <laughs> yes. It's pretty bad. <laughs> but, yeah. So Jeff's, so my turn again? Yeah. Okay. It's high time that you decide in your own mind. Sunday morning. I'm going to say Sunday morning. There's always like a judgy quality to a lot of Christian songs. I'm going to say Friday night. Because you might know the song. Uh, Maybe, but I also kind of know you. Yeah. True. That's half the game. You do this (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, the song, it's a great song. It's called Life is Sweet by Natalie Merchant. 
Yeah. And it's yep. about like, it's high time that you decide, like, are you mm-hmm. going to live your life as if life sucks? Or are you going to live it as if it's sweet? It's a good song. It is a great but song. But I left, I just used the little part that I was trying to, you know, make my point, but I Natalie cheated a little the bit. the best. <laughs> You're going to, it was like a crumb, like one line. <laughs> <laughs> it was a crumb. If I had added one or two more words, you would have figured it out. <laughs> Casey's face, everybody. Read it. The way the way you hold me, hold me, hold me, feels so holy, holy, holy. On God, running to the altar like a track star. I'm oh Casey. Oh my God! I mean, it's Sunday morning. It's got to be. Uh, and it's the lyrics in Christian rock are so bad. Sunday morning. It's got to be Sunday morning. Yeah, I can't imagine it not being Sunday morning. Because if that's a secular person, you would know, none of us would know who they were. <laughs> I feel like Casey's trying to turn this segment into a sexy time with God. <laughs> Sunday morning for sure. This song is called "Holy" by Justin Bieber. Oh, Justin Bieber. I, I would argue that that I counts hear, as a Christian artist. I at this hear point. a yeah, lot about basically. sinners. Don't think I'll be a saint. But I might go down to the river, because the way that the sky opens up when we touch, yeah, it's making me say, the way you hold me, hold me, hold me. Okay. Feels so holy, holy, holy on God, running to the altar like a track star. Yeah. I'm, I still after feel like after Justin Bieber and I's first encounter, this is a song he wrote for me. So <laughs> does doesn't he go to the what is it the New York yep, City Hill song yeah. or something? Mm-hmm. I just yeah. watched he a clip of him like leading actually, worship or whatever. He no longer worships. There. Oh okay. Oh really? Because there's poor, some drama. Lots poor of Justin. Drama there. I I feel for him. That poor kid. Me too. Yeah. Just just no mentorship and all that money and fame. Well, I mean, a lot of millennials now are like bashing on him but i actually feel for him big time yeah, and if you I listen to his song um, absolutely uh, what is that song lonely i'm so lonely i have you heard that song it like as an enneagram four it goes right to my soul but he's sort of starting to come out with stuff talking about what it has been like for him having no mentorship and having the world judge him because he was just a stupid kid you know, and people say, yeah, but that, you know, where is the accountability? I get all that. And also, I think we have seen this for generations of young people who become famous and then their lives go to shit, right? And we blame them. So, anyway, love you, yeah, Justin it's, Bieber. It's not like he's <laughs> not paying a price. That's right. But yeah, I still feel for the guy. All right. This one's going to be really tricky. Ready? Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. <laughs> Sunday morning. <laughs> I just I'm have to throw sure that in there. that I bet there are some churches out there who might play that on Sunday morning. I, I just had to. I was rocking out to this yesterday morning, getting ready. So here, here's here's the actual one I want to contribute to the game. I love you, Jesus. I want you to walk with me. I'll take good care of you, baby. <laughs> I'm very confused. Like, I is think this a you translation? At the wrong places. Is it like I love you, Jesus? I want to take care of you, or something all right, like a that? Comma. Yeah, <laughs> makes all the difference in the world for sure. <laughs> Actually, there is a comma, comma there. I love you, comma Jesus. I want you to walk with me. 
I'll take good care of you, comma, baby. I'm, I'm going to say secular. I think that Bonnie's right. I think the inflection is like, it's a curse word. Jesus is being used. Yeah. Either way, it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go with, I'll go with uh, secular. Or I mean, uh, Friday night. So you guys were good. Uh, it's from the South Park episode from the song titled Jesus, comma, baby. It's been a long time since I watched actually watched that episode. That's good. All right. I think that'll do it for us this week. If you enjoy Irenicast and would like to join the work that we are doing, please consider donating to our PayPal link at irenicast.com slash PayPal. We're committed to keeping the show for free for all listeners, but there are costs involved and your financial support helps. That's irenicast.com slash PayPal. Irenicast is also a nonprofit organization, so your donations are tax deductible. You can also support the show by simply making sure you follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if the platform allows it, leave a rating and or review. We always love to hear from you. So for this week, I'm Jeff. And I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. Thanks for joining the conversation. 